class, but the lesson plan he can't recall. The student's eyes don't perceive the lies, bouncing off every fucking wall. The is well kept, I guess he fears playing the fool. The place the students sit, and listen to that bullshit that he'd learned in school. Europe ain't my rope to swing on, can't learn a thing from it, yeah we hang from it.
lies. No more lies. No more lies. Welcome to the Weekly Review. It's Roman. It's May 27th, 2016, according to the calendar that we're all told to believe. And coming at you from Mutiny Radio here in the Mission District of sunny San Francisco. The skies are blue. It's pretty beautiful out. Uh, No complaints as far as that is concerned. So welcome to the show uh, later today. As in, maybe like in 25 minutes or so, we'll be speaking to uh, Frank Romano about his work in the Middle East. So very much looking forward to hearing from Frank. Ah, so as per usual, it's been there's a, always there's always a lot of news happening in the world, and I have tried my hardest to find some positive news stories of things that are things that have turned out well. Uh, we should say, because there's always just hearing about there's constant violence, there's bigotry, there's a lot of unpleasantness, there's a lot of disgusting things happening in the world that most of us are aware of, for sure, and there's also some good things that are happening, so I feel it's important to to mention those too, so we don't lose hope, and also recognize the work that's being done, and people standing up, because a lot of the times growing up, there's a, a lack of awareness of the positive things that are happening and people coming together because mostly the, the mainstream media doesn't really want to report on that. Instead, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear mongering uh, to keep people afraid of one another and to keep people divided and to keep people feeling powerless, like people's voices don't count and don't matter. And that's not true as we have seen throughout history. So there will be some positive news stories of people coming together and standing up and making change, which is awesome. And I'll start off the show with a bit of a rant, and this just happens to do with the... There's a lot of things to rant about and to be angry about, certainly. And there's still a lot of... I mean, there's been transphobia for a while. A lot of it, I think, has to do with, I don't know, probably the introduction of colonialism to... uh, to, United States, uh, you know, when folks coming here and this idea of the binary and certain uh, roles, gender roles that people should play and how uh, unnatural that is, the idea that people have to behave a certain way. Uh, it's very restrictive and reductive and the idea, of course, that there are billions of people and that we would should somehow fall into two categories. Uh, if people don't question that, wake up. Wake the fuck up. So with the the anti-trans bills that have been going around across the country, there's been, folks have, there's always been the bigotry, I shouldn't say always, but for a very long time, there's been a lot of bigotry and ignorance out there, and these bills have kind of given leeway for people to act even more aggressively than they already do. And uh, there's also just backlash, and a lot of folks are predicting this along with the the passage of gay marriage, how... Yes, the you know same-sex marriage will benefit some folks, but as far as the whole the LGBTQ et cetera community as a whole is concerned, there's a lot of other issues where marriage is not necessarily the first thing that people are really fighting for. A lot of it would be, um, you know, to have housing, uh, to have health care, to uh, have prison abolition, to not be attacked by police, to not have uh, immigration raids. There's a lot of uh, issues impacting the basic life 
issues uh, that have been impacting the LGBTQ community. So marriage, while it does benefit some, not necessarily all. And so with the passage of that, the people who were bigoted and were upset about that because, you know, heaven forbid people have equal rights, uh, they need a new scapegoat. So a lot of the trans folks have been targeted um, due to homophobes and transphobes being upset that other folks can get married. And we've been seeing that a lot around the country, which is just very, very upsetting. And there's a lot of ways one can combat that. I feel like education's the big one. The big, the big one is just to have conversations with people who may be ignorant, who may not agree, who may not understand. And it's frustrating because it's not necessarily our job uh, to, to educate folks. It's, it gets tiresome and it gets frustrating that it's like the daily, you know, in one's daily routine, we all have our own things that we want to do and need to do. And then a lot of folks, of regardless of identities, we end up taking time out of our days simply to dispel a lot of the ignorance and a lot of the hatred. And that gets really, really tiresome. And so uh, online, there was an article that came out a while ago that was saying how sometimes it's good to, there are benefits to arguing with folks online, or not necessarily even arguing, but having conversations. Because if we don't have conversations, then how do we expect people's behaviors to change or for people to evolve? And so we really have to challenge folks who are spouting their ignorance. So as soon as like the ACLU or some organization um, has something positive or says, oh, these, these transphobic bathroom bills are ridiculous or dumb, then there'll be people online, of course, spouting their really just, I don't even want to repeat any of the comments that I've been reading, but just really ignorant, hateful, really, really hateful comments. And I guess it's easy to be hateful behind the computer because you don't have to be held accountable. And so I feel like the least I can do is uh, on most days, if I'm up for it, even if I'm not up for it, I mean, it's a terrible way to wake up in the morning. You know, you wake up and it's like, oh, today's going to be a great day. I want to help, you know, help people be kind and be a good person and hopefully meet new people and be charming and I don't know, just be happy. And then <laughs> one of the first things I see, and I guess part of it could be me not going online. That might help the situation. However, I feel if I don't engage, then I'm kind of letting this ignorance fester. And there are a lot of folks, thankfully, who have been standing up to the bigots. And uh, I do do feel, though, if I'm in a position where I can argue against them and just dispel their their horrible myths about trans people, uh, the least I can do is take some time every day and just not necessarily argue with them, but be like, oh, this is from my own personal experience. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I try not to swear. I try to be, I try not to be an instigator or provocative. Um, it's really hard though when people kind of come at it with such just militant views that are so hateful, really, really hateful. Um, just the, and the language people use. And it's like, they've never, I mean, I'm sure they've met trans people. They just don't even know about it. Cause you know, some folks are stealth. Not everyone walks down the street saying, oh, hey, I'm trans. Hey, I'm trans. Uh, so the idea that uh, people assume that they don't know any trans people is just ridiculous. And the idea that trans people are somehow new, even though we've been around forever, is just, I have to keep on repeating that. And then I also end up talking about my own experience, which is ridiculous. And I have been accosted in a bathroom. And it was one where I was in the bathroom that I was ass- with a gender that I was assigned at birth. So even if one were to go around with that, uh, the idea that one should go into the bathroom that they were ass- with a ge- assigned with a gender that they're assigned at birth, even then there is problems. So, and also this idea, I mean, even talking about it, it's like, what a fucking waste of time, right? It's a waste of fucking time. I have to go tell strangers online 
Oh, by the way, I was only going to the bathroom to pee. I was not going there to attack anyone. I have to waste my fucking time on this planet, on planet Earth. My time I could be spent doing who knows what, arguing with people to defend myself and others of similar experience that I have to somehow try to convey that we are just going to the bathroom to use it as a bathroom. How ridiculous is that? What a fucking waste of time is that? And that's what we kind of have to do right now. <sighs> so, ugh, I don't necessarily feel happy getting that out, but that's just kind of what's been happening. And I would encourage other folks who also, uh, even if you haven't experienced it firsthand, if you know me, then you've known someone who's been through it. And a lot of folks, a lot of cis folks have been through that too. The idea of being profiled. And it's very, it comes down to really just like the bodies that we're born into and the bodies that we travel the world in and how people treat us based on the bodies that we're born into. And based on profiling, people are attacked, people are killed, people are mistreated, and it's fucking sick. And we live in a really, really backwards society that we've been around for however long, and we still, not only, it's... It's like a fucking epidemic. The fact that it's not even just like one person or a very small minority. It's the fact that enough people believe in this propaganda, people believe in this fear, that they will mistrust and hate groups of people based on... We're all spirits in these bodies, right? We're all spirits traveling through the world, yet based on the packaging, people make these snap judgments and are not only just like fearful, but they're hateful and they're ignorant and they're violent. And then a lot of us have to spend our time educating them to be like, oh, hey, can you please not hate me based on the body I've been born into? I'm just trying to go take a piss. Why? How reductive is that? How, oh, how fucking frustrating is that? And also the idea of folks just wanting to walk down the street, walk down the street without being harassed or hurt by law enforcement. That's also something that also happens. And there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of parallels in terms of how people are treated just based on the bodies that we're born into. And the fact that we haven't overcome that yet as a society is pretty disappointing. Where's the positive in this? <laughs> um, I could play. There's, I could talk about what's happening in France. There's been like nationwide strikes. That's pretty dope. That's pretty cool. I've seen a lot of... They, they really know how to protest out there. And I tip my hat. I don't usually wear hats, but if I did, I would tip my hat to them. Oh, so that's just kind of one thing that's been happening, and it feels, it's, it's an ongoing thing, and it just feels very, very frustrating. And for folks who don't typically experience that, uh, just to make folks aware that we need to evolve as a species. Although that might not be the case if the world's completely poisoned, and I don't want to get all pessimistic, but there was another oil spill, and oh, there's that. And the radiation from Fukushima. Anyway, I won't get into the negative because I, I I have heard a couple of folks I'm close to have said, oh, this show's really depressing and it's hard to listen to the whole thing. And I get that. And I also am like, well, if you don't face it, then what, you know, I feel if I don't talk about it, then I'm not helping to change it at all. So that's the least we can do. I would like to find some levity. I would like to bring some humor into the situation. Some good news. The show is now on iTunes for all your 
all your iTunes listening pleasure, which is wonderful. So I have to thank uh, Tim Pizza for helping get us set up at Mutiny Radio here on iTunes. And currently all the, all the shows here are under the comedy banner, so I'll try to make this as funny as possible. No, I won't. Um, it, eventually it'll be under, under news, so uh, that's exciting that folks can, can be able to download the podcast through iTunes. That's a positive thing. Uh, having it be more accessible for people is wonderful. So, opened up the show with a song by Rage Against the Machine. And some good news, there's a new supergroup coming out in a few days. I mean, they're already together. This is more just like when they're they're releasing their new music. And it's members of Rage Against the Machine and Cypress Hill and Public Enemy all together in a supergroup. And they're called Prophets of Rage. So that's exciting. That's some great news. There's some really positive things happening. Absolutely, there are positive things happening in the world. And we'll get to some of the things that are a bit... But there's also some really positive things, and I feel it's really, really important to talk about those, as well as ranting. And usually ranting makes me feel better, and it's sometimes, though, it just makes me feel a little bit sad, because it's like, oh, yeah, this is a, a daily thing. And the, even the arguing online, which might seem very minor compared to what a lot of folks go through, it still is just very uh, symbolic of existing in the world and wanting to be seen, and how far and how much energy we need to put into just feeling safe. And it makes me it makes me sad, to be honest. It really does. But all we can do is educate folks and call people out on it. And there's a lot of there's a lot of transphobes out there. I shouldn't say I mean I don't want to give them any more power than they already have, but it's like you can just see the fear in their eyes and like one of the one of the uh, arguments or fears that some of these people have is like, what if I go on a date with a woman and she has a penis? And I'm like and it's like that's like their biggest fear and it's like a phallus obsessed culture it's it's just it's so it's our culture is super misogynist first of all and it's all i can't i don't even have the fucking words for it where it's like the idea that someone demonizes someone else based on their body and it's also people's expectations of what someone else's body should be like and it's like none of your fucking business and also um, most women I know who are trans, like they are not going to go out with like asshole transphobes. So it's like, what makes you even think that, you know, these amazing women would go out with you in the first place? Ugh, 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 ugh. That's just, <sighs> yeah. So there's that. That's my rant against transphobia and as it exists all, uh, all around us, unfortunately, but things are getting better. I hope. People are speaking out, which is great. Uh, there was a, a congressperson, uh, Zoe Lofgren, who um, there was some. There was I don't even the fact that it's even in, in the courts is like making me so angry that there are people who are bringing in like false witnesses, being like trans people, blah blah, blah like just saying a lot of negative, untrue things about trans folks. And so a congressperson like called someone out and like, no, you're an ignorant big, you're an ignorant bigot, which was I thought great to uh, actually call them out for being ignorant big bigots because a lot of them are and i'm all for having conversations and educate you know like we can learn from each other but when folks come at me with language and ideas that are really like hurtful and untrue like calling me a monster calling my friends monsters and monster is a polite way of, of you know paraphrasing the the language that they use it's like how does that how does one even respond if you you can't even have like respect it's like the people are already coming at coming at us with like this like anger and this fear and it's just so sick it's really fucking sick it's disgusting 
Wow. Anyway, some good news. I'll do a show plug. Um, well, tonight's the San Francisco Queer Open Mic at Modern Times Bookstore on 24th Street. That's at 7.30. I think the sign-ups are at 7. That's always a great show. A lot of great performers. There's music, spoken word, comedy, poetry, uh, everything, and it's just a great show. So recommend checking that out. I'm also going to be acting in a piece in a performance called Queer as Fuck happening in June at Bindlestiff Studio on 6th Street here in San Francisco. Very much looking forward to that. I was cast as a a trans person who has been mistreated by a cis person. So wherever will I find the motivation for that character? I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's it's good. There's like six different pieces that are going up. We had a stumble through the other day and got to see the other pieces, and they're great. Just really amazing folks involved with this production, and I feel really grateful to be involved and meeting so many new great people. So uh, again, yeah, that'll be happening in June. I'll do another plug for that as that comes along, and we'll hopefully also be speaking with some of the folks on the production side who are involved and having them on the show to speak about that process. So that's good. There are some really good things happening in the world. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I get angry, and I feel like um, we should all be righteously angry, because there's a lot of things to be angry about. There's a lot of things to be angry about, given that the Earth is like a beautiful place, and it's been destroyed by humans. <sighs> That's not the positive note I was hoping to, to end on, but it's true, right? I mean, the inv- I mean, there's like the humans. It's like the way we treat each other, the wars and the violence towards one another. That's like problematic and sickening. And then there's also like the poisoning of the earth, which is like sickening too. And it's like, are we gonna kill each other first, or are we gonna kill the earth first? What's it gonna be? It's like, I get, I get really excited. I don't really, I'm not into gambling. Um, I do wonder though, what's, what's it gonna be? I wanna find out. Are we gonna bomb each other, or are we just gonna like poison all the, the air and the water so we, we, we just die off? Or will there, will there be a disease that we can't? here i don't know i don't know it's exciting to find out in the meantime the best we can do is be kind to each other and learn to try to undo the problems of the past and i feel like that's been a theme of the show whenever i do positive news stories it's like oh something that's really great is something that shouldn't have been happening in the first place but we're like undoing it for instance uh legalization of cannabis uh, it's a medicine that's been around for thousands of years, perhaps longer, that a lot of folks uh, have been using. And people have had their lives ruined because they use it or share it. That's gross. And so the positive thing is that now it's becoming more accessible. Of course, then that brings into a different discussion who's going to profit off this, which is a whole other discussion. Um, but in the, the very least we can do is try to, not even try, but just do is get folks out of jail who have been jailed for it and make sure everyone who wants to access this medication has access to it. Um, So that's a positive thing. It shouldn't be a positive thing because it should always have been accessible for everyone and people shouldn't have been punished for it. But because of the world we live in, progress, progress in quotes, is ensuring that it is accessible to as many people as possible. So I'll take that. I'll take that. So the, the first story we'll get into is about that. And then we'll be hearing from Frank Romano in a little bit. So this is, comes from The Cannabist. It's a website at thecannabist.co. Ohio medical marijuana bill heading to Governor John Kasich. We remember him. Some of us do. Some of us choose not to. Anyway, let's hope he passes this. Ohio medical marijuana proposal would bar patients from... Oh. Well, it's not as great as I thought it would be, but let's read it anyway. Ohio medical marijuana proposal would bar patients from smoking marijuana or growing it at home, but... That's so fucked up. That's not even fucking good. Oh, well. But 
It allows its use in vapor form for certain chronic health conditions. It's similar like in New York, they passed it, but they had a very restrict, they only were allowed to open a, a very few amount of dispensaries within the state. And they also like had the, the illnesses and the conditions they had was very limited. But again, better that than nothing at all, I guess. I'm, I'm for having it be fully accessible in any form for everyone, but. We'll take what we can get. So this article is written by Julie Carr Smith. This is from the Associated Press. The Associated Press, and this came out yesterday, May 26, Columbus, Ohio. An Ohio medical marijuana legislation bill has been sent to Governor John Kasich in an effort by state lawmakers to offset support for a proposed fall ballot measure. The measure cleared the Ohio Senate by just three votes, and the House followed by okaying Senate changes 67 to 28. The proposal, which... Kasich has not committed to signing would bar patients from smoking marijuana or growing it at home. I, but it would allow its use. There is the positive swing. But it would allow its use in vapor form for certain chronic health conditions because we unfortunately do live in a place where for some reason other folks have the right to tell people what they can or cannot do with their bodies, which is fucked. Continuing on, though. It garnered both support and opposition among Republicans and Democrats. Supporters recalled emotional testimony from chronic pain sufferers and parents of sick children as influencing their decisions to support the legislation. There is no reason why we should make Ohioans suffer any longer, said State Senator Kenny Yuko, a Richmond Heights Democrat who worked with Republican Senator David Burke, a pharmacist from Marysville, to clinch the bill's Senate passage. Lawmakers fast-tracked the measure as a way to head off a medical marijuana issue headed toward fall ballots. But the Ohioans for Medical Marijuana campaign painted lawmakers' approval as only boistering its issues' chances in the fall. Their support for medical marijuana speaks volumes for eliminating any remaining biases against allowing doctors to recommend this life-enhancing treatment to patients in need, spokesman Aaron Marshall said in a statement. Senator Jay Hottinger, a New York Republican, was among opponents of this measure. He said there is inadequate proof because—I'm not going to get angry. Well, I will get angry, but fucker. Okay, he said that there's inadequate proof of the medical benefits of marijuana and expanding access runs too many risks. My response is, fuck you. There's been plenty of research done, and a lot of it has been postponed for a very long time because pharmaceutical companies, the uh, police, prisons in general— um, they profit off of arresting people for having marijuana. That's why it hasn't been legal. Anyway, oh, he's wrong. Whew. Governor John Kasich. <laughs> I was not quoted in this article, but that's what I would say if I were quoted. All right, John Kasich's spokesman was noncommittal on the governor's support, saying he would look at the bill in its final form. The measure assigns the State Department of Commerce to regulate marijuana cultivation and distribution and requires each dispensary to employ a registered pharmacist. The state medical board would oversee recommending doctors and provide them with continuing education. The bill also sets parameters for the placement of dispensaries, including prohibiting them from being placed within 1,000 feet of a daycare facility and giving communities the ability to opt out of having one move in. Employers who want to maintain drug-free workplaces would be provided immunity. Senator Bill Seitz, a Cincinnati Republican, urged fellow Republicans, especially conservatives, to support the measure. 
He pointed to a provision calling on the federal government to remove marijuana from its list of Schedule I dangerous substances as a move to restore states' rights. Nobody with a straight face could actually claim that marijuana is more harmful than cocaine, yet marijuana is on Schedule One and cocaine is on Schedule Two. he said. Now, if that isn't nuts, I don't know what is. And perhaps there is hope in the world because I am, I am agreeing with a Republican here. So, and again, I, you know, I don't, I shouldn't, I don't want to go into labels and all that stuff, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's great when we can, despite our, how we might label ourselves politically when we find commonalities and when folks speak the truth, I think that's pretty wonderful. So that's great news. Okay. So we will be hearing from Frank Romano in a little bit, and I'm going to give a little brief bio for him. So Frank Romano earned a PhD at University of Paris, uh, one uh, Pantheon Sorbonne. He is a maître de conférence assistant tenured professor at the Université Paris-Ouest, uh, Nanterre La Défense in the Anglo-American Literature and Civilization Department, and a member of the California and Marseille Bars. At present, he teaches law literature, history, and philosophy of law at the Université, Université Paris-Ouest-Nanterre-la-Défense, and practices law in France and in the United States. The author actively organizes and participates in interfaith events involving Jews, Muslims, Christians, and people of other faiths in Israel and Palestine. So very much looking forward to uh, speaking with him. And in the meantime, we'll be playing some music and um, saw some really great performances last night. The Homemobiles had a show at the Eagle. I recommend checking them out. They'll be in the, they'll be in the Northwest uh, this weekend and this next week. So definitely check them out. And also opening up for them uh, was a great performer named uh, Juba Kalamka, who we will hopefully have on the show very shortly. And Juba's a great performer and a pretty rad person, so I wanted to play some of his music, as well as music from a group he was involved with called the Deep Dick Collective. So this is a song called I Am. And I knew that almost I'm a black man who likes metaphor. I am a black man who's anti-war. I am I, and the black man that I am is quite sure. I am not pure. African fruits mixed with Cherokee juice. I am a black man with red clay roots. Arkansas, I am. Black man speaking my I am truth. I am not trying to recruit youth for nothing but revolution. Solutions to overstand the I am. They be unlike me. I am a man, and yet I am as unique as you. I am the man who will stand for my truth. I am a black man educating our youth. Sonnets to Ebonics, Othello in the East, oh, I am the sum total of your hope. I am a black man who sometimes can't cope with haters who hate on knowledge. I am a black man who says go to college. Ignorance should be abolished, but the greatest teacher is a preacher whose mirror smiles to him and says, yo, I am a black man.
Thursday before Friday's dawn comes to wash me clean. I am pretending to be a pretense of something I've always been. I'm a number one Raiders fan with no face paint. I ain't a chauvinist and I like taking long walks by the beach and tasting clouds just outside of my reach. And as I walk amongst you, you don't need to know the history. Just the here and now, that is how we will learn to connect with respect. Connect with respect. We need to bring it on back and connect with respect. This freedom, you don't want to let me own it, but like a donor fried in a vat, I keep popping back up. It's tough as the day that you denied me like Jesus. Three times before dawn, the battle lines are drawn and verbal bombs are our demise. The lies you told yourself are caught in your breath. Respect those who resurrect flowers from the melting snow. So my shit's not that hard. No bleep bleep being caught. No trips up to balls. While Kavantia lives, poisonous eggs in my belly. I said, this is the voice of the bookworm. I said, this is the voice of the bookworm. Whose words storm ears like hurricanes. You insert the name. I am a black man, I am speaking Color from the gut and gutter Cause grandy could it be Big Geechee I be speechifying to reach the dying Flying their minds with my halfway lies And faggot pageantry And now I beseech thee Y'all will be there over and under the drum machines And creepy piano tinkling Hoping that you see me, I'm here to teach things I am hoping you believe me These quotes that I wrote stuck in my throat While I was swinging in yonder tree My lover was singing, my brother was bringing For she, blankets and sage and thanking him for being But maybe that's just Philip Bailey wailing and tailing my fan Fantasy, a prevailing notion. Claude McKay at the edge of the ocean. PLD toasting Jimmy B at the party that he's hosting beyond the sea. Where 206 times 100 million bones be. Fresh and clean from 400 years and saline. Gallons of tears for fears. Pulling up the rear and hay bailing in the middle of the barn in harm's way. Obadike's trade on eBay means you can't be that way and stay. Point five, don't pray, so what to say? Twix December 26th to New Year's Day. I lose the strange fruit and fruit from the past. My faith will first be on the last. I am. I am, I am, I am, I am a black man, I am, I am, I am a black man, I, I am, I am, I am a black man, I am, I am, I am a black man from infinity to infinity. Some butter and no other is the thing that I try to why ask why. I seen them laugh and seen them cry. Always, always on demand. There's no need to lie. I rock without a band. Right hand, Come on, on your stomach, on your back, and on your clitoris, and your crack, and there's a little bit of spit 
I need to help me out a bit with the glycerin because then so listen to the slickness. So pretty when it's testing the mission's all in and the hits begin. If you're rolling late, don't they got it on tape? We'll always talk about the fate of my color chalk. It's right in the lines, model I'm out on design. Okay, and welcome back to the Weekly Review. Uh, that last song was another one by Juba Kalumka. That was uh, Ambi, Right Hand. So, uh, written on uh, Frank, to hear from Frank Romano. And in the meantime, I'm going to read a little bit about... Uh, so, there's, of course... Oh, I shouldn't say of course, but... Uh, there's an epidemic of police violence and terrorism in this country and around the world. And wanted to speak about that a little bit. And uh, there was an article here in uh, Women and Beyond the Global that was published a few days ago, and I wanted to read that. And this came out on May 21st, and this was written by uh, Dan Moschenberg. And this comes um, with the idea of really speaking about the, the victims and the people who are, who are affected by this. And so this, the title is, This Story is About Jessica Williams, Hashtag Say Her Name. On Thursday, May 19th, activists from various national movements, including Black Youth Project 100, Project South, Ferguson Action, and Black Lives Matter, joined with local activists around the country for a day of action to protest and do something about state brutality against black women. The banner and hashtag for the day were hashtag say her name. On Thursday, May 19th, Jessica Williams, 29 years old, black, was killed by a white San Francisco police sergeant. Jessica Williams was unarmed. 
The reports on Jessica Williams' death have barely said her name. Until late Friday night, early Saturday, Jessica Williams was a quote-unquote an unarmed black woman. More to the point, the storyline has been about the police chief being removed, about the new police chief, and about the racism in the San Francisco Police Department. While all those count, the story should be about Jessica Williams. Even in her own death, even now, Jessica Williams suffers the indignity of being removed from the center of her own life and death story. Jessica Williams, say her name, hashtag say her name. The story of Jessica Williams' death is a common one, both for San Francisco and beyond. Williams was in a car identified as having been stolen. She refused to leave the car and allegedly tried to drive away. That's when a police officer shot and killed her. According to all reports, Jessica Williams was not driving towards the officer. In fact, she wasn't driving at all. According to police, Williams drove away after officers tried to talk to her, officials officials said, but crashed into a parked utility truck about 100 feet away. She continued to disobey police instructions, and the sergeant then fired one shot and killed her as she sat in the car, said police, who added that no weapon was found on Williams. From 2000 to today, San Francisco police officers have been in 95 shootings. 40 have been fatal. 23 of the shootings involve people in moving or stopped vehicles. Jessica Williams was killed in the Bayview District, a hotbed of revitalization. Bayview is the epicenter of San Francisco's shrinking African-American population. In early December last year, Mario Woods, 26 years old, black, was shot 20 times by police officers in Bayview. The San Francisco Police Department has already been under investigation for racist and homophobic practices, both formal and informal. Police chiefs will come and go, as will police sergeants and other police. It's important to address the police as a group of people, a culture, a public agency, and a body of practices. But first and last, we must learn to move the the police off the center in the narratives of those killed by police. Jessica Williams is the story, not the sergeant or that chief. Her name is Jessica Williams, and she did not deserve the fate that was dealt her by the state. No one deserves that fate, and no one deserves that treatment. Jessica Williams is the name of urban redevelopment and skyrocketing real estate markets. Jessica Williams is the name of militarized and uncontrolled policing, witch hunting, all in the name of zero tolerance and urban revitalization. Jessica Williams, 29 years old, black, female, was sitting in a stationary car when she was killed. This story is about Jessica Williams. Say her name. Hashtag say her name. So I uh, really wanted to get that um, that perspective out there. And again, the, that happens quite a bit when we end up talking um, about the, the perpetrators of the violence um, instead of talking about the folks who are affected uh, by it. And that, unfortunately, uh, it's it's all too common. And again, this leads into the next story, and this from is from Pink News, and the another uh, population that is policed and uh, profiled uh, and has much violence committed against them is is trans women, and this comes from Pink News. And uh, I know I should usually do a trigger warning before the show because it is the news and there's a lot of violence out there. And I think it's really important to to speak about those who have been taken from us and to just to just, just to speak about them. So this is 
uh, really um, another really disgusting and unfortunate event. This comes from Pink News. Uh, trans woman died of gunshot wounds after doctors couldn't decide if she should be allowed in women's ward. And this was written by Joseph Patrick McCormick. A transgender woman has died in Pakistan while operating theater staff allegedly tried to decide whether she should be in a woman's ward and asked how much she charges to dance. The trans activist named Alicia died in Peshawar's uh, excuse me, uh, Peshawar's Lady Reading Hospital amid the ordeal, according to the trans group Trans Action Khyber Pakhuntkwa on Facebook. Alicia was admitted to the hospital after being shot by a criminal gang, which, according to the group, extorts money from transgender people. She was admitted with eight gunshot wounds, according to local media, but the tragedy only got worse after she was brought into the place where she could have found care. According to posts, staff were too confused about which ward to admit her to, to tend to her wounds. They wrote, hospital staff in LRH is extremely rude and impolite. Transgender are abused and made fun of. Uh, operation, staff, operation theater staff is commenting on our dresses and looks. What the fuck is wrong with these people? A male operation theater staff asked me about my telephone number and wanted to know how much I charge for dancing party. In critical condition, Alicia was asked by a doctor whether she had real breasts for her phone number and how much she would charge for a dance, read the posts. After being turned away from the woman's ward in the hospital, Alicia was placed in a room near the toilets in a men-only ward. <sighs> the medical director of the hospital allegedly intervened to move her to a more suitable facility, but the local trans group alleges that the delay in administering life-saving treatment led to her death earlier today. So again, this uh, story was on uh, from Pink News, and this is just, it's fucking gross, and it's systemic, and it's just disgusting. It's really, really disgusting. Oh, fuck. Um, oh. It's, we live in a very, very misogynist world, and anyone who would argue otherwise, I think, is highly, highly mistaken. I was thinking of how many women uh, lose their lives every year, every day, and it's disgusting. And there are men who partake in that, and there are men who remain silent, and uh, they are very, very guilty. They are very, very guilty of that, of allowing that to happen. Oh, fuck. Well, shit. All right. Um... I think it's time for another music um, break, and uh, well, here's some music from some queer women, I think, to get us out of this. Not get us out of it, but to just uh, take a moment, a brief moment, and this is from a band uh, called Electrolane, and this is songs called To the East.
welcome back to the weekly review. So, uh, so those were a couple of depressing stories, but we have some positive things that are happening. And again, these are just measures that are done to undo some of the bad things that were in the works. And so keeping on with the transgender, uh, the transgender issue or agenda, I hate when people say that, like the homosexual agenda, when the agenda is pretty much just to live uh, peacefully and not be attacked. I don't think that's a fucking agenda. It's all good. It's all good. Um, So this comes from Oklahoma. uh, There's also a lot of, oh, man. You know, it's like I hear about something positive that happens, and I think about something negative. It's like, oh, well, they got got this anti-trans stuff out of the way, but then there's, like, the the anti-choice stuff, which is happening, and that's also happening in South Carolina. It's really just, I mean, the patterns I found is really just, like, people in positions of power wanting to take on this idea that they can tell people what to do with their bodies and how that's so gross like so so gross and people have to be like uh no like everyone should have reproductive health care like that should be a people should be able to i don't understand people who argue against that how dare you tell someone else what they can or cannot do with their body that's just insane so it's all good it's all good we're gonna get through this this is a this is a quote unquote positive news story. Transgender bathroom bill dies in state legislature as it fucking should. An Oklahoma House committee's uh, tie vote. Oh God, it was only tied. Anyway, uh, Tuesday night derails SB sixteen nineteen, a bill that would have required school districts to provide separate restrooms for students who object. Wait, what? that would have required separate restrooms for students who object to sharing restrooms with transgender students. Okay, first of all, people have always been sharing bathrooms with us. I don't even fuck. Okay, Th- that committee voted 10 to 10. With the tie vote, the bill cannot move forward. So as of now, it has been defeated. Uh, Chambers of Commerce in Oklahoma's two largest cities urge state lawmakers to kill the bill. In a letter to lawmakers Monday, the presidents of both the Tulsa Reg- Regional Chamber and Greater Oklahoma City Chamber warned of severe economic damage. I mean, if you're worried about that, that's, again, that's that's so interesting that we live in a a culture that's so concerned with more with money than with actual people's rights. But whatever it takes, fine. That could result from the measure. Under the bill, students would apply for a religious accommodation to use a bathroom or locker room designed for exclusive use by those whose sex at birth matches the student's own. Restroom design would apply for religious religious accommodation. Oh, my gosh. The proposal was approved last week by a Senate committee, but hasn't come up before the full chamber. The measure follows the federal government's guidance on the use of bathrooms by transgender students. I... This whole thing I find to be really confusing. So under the bill, the students would apply for a religious accommodation to use a restroom or locker room designed for exclusive use. Oh, my gosh. Again, and this also comes into the idea, which is another fucking news story, which is just fucking outrageous, is the Blue Lives Matter bill, which unfortunately the governor in Louisiana passed, which somehow makes, uh, so it, it, it designates police officers as a uh, protected class, as a discriminated against group, because I guess making six figures and carrying weapons and getting away with murder is somehow, you got to have extra protections. Whew. But again, it's like the folks, when people speak up and say, hey, um, I'm being, like, honestly, I'm being discriminated against. Can you please just not discriminate against me, such as trans folks, for instance, um, or people of color uh, who are discriminated against by the police, by and large? Um, then those fucking groups, I shouldn't say, those groups, certain groups, are like, wait a second, maybe I'm being discriminated against because I can't be a bigot. And then they, it's so, oh, it's, oh. There's, there's my commentary. 
I feel like I was doing pretty well with the news for the last few weeks doing this show. Um, I've been able to be very level and not get too angry. Um, despite the news I read, which is extremely depressing and sad and frustrating and hearing about what's happening. And it's just the, the folks who are the ones perpetrating the violence, um, calling themselves the victims. It makes me so angry. It makes me so, so angry. Mm. You don't want to see me when I'm angry or maybe you do. Cause I'm usually angry and uh, I'd rather be angry uh, and aware of what's happening, then pretend it's not happening and eat up all my feelings because that's not gonna that's not gonna help anybody. How about we go to a positive news story? I promise that we had some, and I'll find them. They're here somewhere. They're here under the not under the mattress. <laughs> They're here in the closet somewhere. Um, there are some positive news stories out there which I'm going to get to uh, right about now because. Uh, really important to recognize that there are a lot of good things happening and people coming together. So this comes from France. We come from France. Uh, do you think the Coneheads would have, uh, I'm trying to bring some levity to the, to the situation here. Do you think the Coneheads would have, uh, marched in these, uh, would have protested? I wonder. I, I mean, I feel like the, the folks who play the Coneheads were probably on board with that. I know Dan Aykroyd's pretty much into like aliens and, uh, being aware of that whole situation. So I would imagine he'd be open-minded and would favor uh, protests and strikes. That's just my assumption. Great. So this comes from Telesur English, um, and I appreciate the folks I know who have uh, shared all this information. I got a lot of information from friends who are activists, and the pictures here are great. You can check them out on the Weekly Review webpage, which is uh, facebook.com slash weeklyrev, and I post a lot of articles there. I don't get to all of them on the show because there's just so much happening in the world, but I really like to get to as many as possible. And so they have some really great photos of the protests, uh, strikes that have been happening. Uh, here's a little brief description. This is from yesterday. Uh, French workers have shut down the country. More than 100,000 workers and young people protested in Paris and thousands more across the country as workers went on a national strike against pro-business reforms that will leave many jobless and break down social rights of working people. Motorways and bridges were blocked and flights delayed. Rolling strike by train drivers has brought disruption to regional and commuter rail services. Oil workers on strike have forced the closure of 3,000 gas stations, forcing the government to use its strategic oil reserves as a third of France's petrol stations are now running dry. Workers at nuclear plants also went on strike, causing outages at at least 11 power plants. Nuclear power provides about 75% of the country's electricity. Trade union representative Frank Barbet says, if we have to carry on, then we will. We are not pleased to have to lose money, but it is to see this law overturned, then we'd have done what was right. But if it is to see this law overturned, then we'd have done what was right. Fucking right on. That's amazing. And I encourage folks to check out some of these photos. They're incredible. And imagine if that were to happen here in the States, how incredible that would be. Speaking of which, there have been some strikes. And I read today that it may they may have reached an agreement. And this is um, with the Verizon folks, uh, the folks working for Verizon. I... I've had a tumultuous relationship with Verizon in the past more so at the, the company. And also I used to work for a company that had Verizon as a client, which is a whole other can of worms. Won't get into that today. Um, however, the folks who work 
for Verizon have been on strike, a very, very large strike. And surprisingly, not surprisingly, uh, there hasn't been too much coverage about that. And that's the thing, too, is just to really focus on where we're hearing our information from and to to recognize just because something's not being covered in the mainstream media doesn't mean it's not happening. And also just to inquire about why that is. And uh, just, yeah, to ask a lot of questions because if, I mean, imagine if the, if, well, there's so much happening. If the world was to, the world, if the mainstream media was to, I mean, it works in defense of the upper classes, certainly. You know, the folks who are paying to present their side of the story, they're not going to really be on the side of the working people, unfortunately. But imagine if that were the case. Like, if we were to actually turn on the TV, I don't have a TV, but if you were to turn on the TV and really see uh, what was happening, imagine how wonderful that would be. So I am going to read a little bit here about the Verizon strikers. And then, oh, oh there's so much to get to. So uh, this is from Democracy Now!, and this also gives me hope. There are some positive things in the world, for sure. And it's really people coming together and speaking up. And I think that's great. So from Democracy Now!, 39,000 Verizon workers mark six weeks on strike in biggest U.S. labor action in years. And this is from March 25th. So I did hear that today. They have settled, but that's not yet confirmed. So don't take my word for it. All right. Today marks six weeks since nearly, and this was a few days ago, so that day. Uh, marks six weeks since nearly 40,000 Verizon workers went on strike along the East Coast from Massachusetts to Virginia, marking one of the biggest U.S. strikes in years. The workers have been without a contract since August amid attempts by Verizon to cap pensions, cut benefits, and outsource work to Mexico, the Philippines, and the Dominican Republic. On Tuesday, Verizon CEO Lowell McAdam admitted the company's second quarter earnings may take a hit because the strike has resulted in the company falling behind on new internet and television installations. This comes as financial analysts are projecting this strike will cost Verizon $200 million in profits this year and a loss of $343 million in revenue in the second quarter alone. The Verizon strike is being organized by two unions, the Communications Workers of America and the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. And uh, they have an interview here on Democracy Now! I recommend checking out um, and you can find that and this came out on May 25th. So again, right on. That's some good, good, good news. Also, speaking of good news, um, folks kind of coming out and uh, speaking up against corruption and uh, dishonesty. Uh, I think that's always a, a great thing. So uh, I wanted to share a little bit about what has been happening in Brazil, oh, so we'll be getting to that momentarily. Um, and yeah, there's just, there's always a lot happening in the world and I feel best we can do is report as much as possible. Um, so this is like a video and I will see how much of it we can hear and see. So um, this is from AJ, which is a cool news source. Um, artists, musicians, and activists across Brazil are occupying government buildings to protest the interim government, and they performed a special opera for Brazil's new acting president. So I will, uh, I will narrate this as, as it uh, goes along. And here we go. The Brazilian artists are furious. Their new interim president has just shut down the Ministry of Culture. So they occupied this government building. 
they turn this song into a rallying cry against him. Get out, interim president Michelle Temer. Get out, Temer. There's a whole bunch of people. Get out, Michelle Temer. There's a bunch of people singing. It's glorious. One of Temer's first moves was to dissolve the cultural ministry and make it part of the Ministry of Education. The end of the Ministry of Culture represents the end of one of society's pillars. It is a direct attack on this society. We won't accept the Ministry of Culture inside a coup government. We only want the Ministry of Culture in a democratic government and a progressive government. We're here to fight for Tamara's fall and for a Ministry of Culture. In a, we uh, fight to empower the arts and society. Whoops, I'm going to... Roll back a little bit. All right, we are here to fight for Tamara's fall and for a ministry of culture in a new... Okay, we only want the... Excuse me. We only want the ministry of culture in a democratic government and a progressive government. We're here to fight for Tamara's fall and for a ministry of culture in a new political moment. We fight to empower the arts role in society. People are also angry that the Ministry of Women, Racial Equality and Human Rights was folded into the Ministry of Justice. It's very symptomatic, a government made up of only white, cis, straight men without young, black, indigenous people without women. It's clearly not a legitimate government. It's about racism, it's about transphobia, it's about sexism. And we won't let this backlash happen without resisting. Tamara's cabinet has been criticized for being all white and male. To have a cabinet of ministers without women is to have a weak cabinet. Brazilian civil society is much more diverse and rich than that minority of old men. Artists, musicians, and filmmakers have occupied government buildings in 12 states. So that is pretty badass and awesome. So there are some positive things happening and people coming together, and I think that is glorious. Huh. Okay, so we're going to take a bit of a break. Um, so a few <laughs> a while ago, um, I requested I requested that folks um, call in with their favorite Prince songs, and um, I received a message which unfortunately I didn't get to read until uh, after I did the show. So I wanted to honor that um, request, and that was from our good friend Jesus. You better work, who's an amazing person and an amazing performer, who requested uh, "Black Sweat" by Prince. So I wanted to play that for Jesus and send some good energy out your way. And we'll be back with some more news in just a bit.
Welcome back. That was Prince with Black Sweat. Again, thank you to Jesus. You better work for that lovely suggestion. So we're going to continue on with uh, going along with some more world news. And this is about strikes. (laughs) Right on. Uh, Argentine workers call for general strike against Macri. And this is from also from Telesur, which is T-E-L-E-S-U-R-T-V dot net. (coughs) And they have a lot of good coverage. I recommend checking them out. Transportation unions have also joined and supported the call for a general strike due to the large amount of layoffs in the country. Workers' unions have called for a general strike to protest that Argentine President uh, Mauricio Macri vetoed a law that would have forbidden layoffs. The veto is legal, but not legitimate. The workers want and need this law to guarantee their sources of employment, so the response must be immediate, said Pablo Michel. Uh, Michelli? Uh, I'm just going to... Uh, Michelle, one of the leaders organizing the strike, which includes more than 20 unions in the country. In the first five months of Macri's administration, over 150,000 people have lost their jobs. This is the first time that the new president used his veto capacity to overturn a law, as the bill has been previously approved by the Senate. The bill declared a labor emergency and forbid layoffs for 180 days. 
Macri blames former president Cristina Fernandez of supporting this law, which he says discourages investment. Workers' unions had organized a strike against Macri in April, as more than 150,000 people have lost their jobs since the conservative government took power. And again, easy to see the, the patterns there when the more conservative-leaning folks to come into power. It's not good for the people. It is not. So I'm going to keep on with some more positive uh, news, and then we're going to get back to some more local stuff, which is heartbreaking. Ugh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Just walking down the street, it's like... It's, it's heartbreaking to see the conditions that, that folks are in. So uh, there's that part of me that's an anarchist, a, a big part of me. I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't label myself necessarily, but uh, I have anarchist leanings, no question about it. So there's a part of me that's like, oh, in an ideal situation, when folks talk about the presidential election, it brings up a lot of issues for me. There's like the folks who are in it, whose positions I respect. And there's also that idea of abolishing the state, or perhaps maybe it's, it's very idealist of me. Um, uh, very, very idealist. The idea of like perhaps living uh, in a world where we don't necessarily have leaders or governments to all live peacefully, of course. I'm not talking about everyone. I think that's a fear that people think, oh, there's no one telling you what to do. Then people are going to misbehave. And my issue is that there are people who tell us what to do and they cause a lot of harm. For instance, closing abortion clinics or um, making it legal to harass trans people or police who kill people. Uh, Authority, authority figures um, cause a lot of harm. I get that there are some folks who are in positions of power who don't, who really are in it to help people. And then there's a lot of folks who aren't. And that's where my criticism comes from. And also the idea, uh, my friend Ribri, who's been on the show, a great musician and a great human being. I feel like I describe a lot of people that way. Like they're amazing artists and amazing human beings. Uh, we were outside the, the open mic, which is a great open mic to go to, the Spectrum Queer Media open mic, which happens at Perch Coffee House in Oakland um, every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Sign up start six shows at 6.30 p.m. Great, great show. Again, go to Perch uh, in Oakland on Tuesday evenings. Um, so after the show, we were, we, were, we were just chatting on the sidewalk and this guy came up and he was agitated about something and he, I think he was... I believe ex-military and ex-police and he was upset about I don't know exactly what specifically and he was very much defending we he kind of started talking to us it wasn't like we provoked him or anything and he was talking about just this idea that we really need you know to be people to fight for us etc and like this kind of this mentality and Ribri had this great just in one line was like, I don't need a badge to protect people or I don't need a badge to help people. And I feel like a lot of us feel that way. Like one doesn't necessarily need um, an authoritative role in order to protect one another, in order to help one another. And the idea that someone d does, I feel like it's very misleading because there are folks given those responsibilities who don't help people. Sure, there are people who given those responsibilities who do, and there's a lot of folks who don't. And also, I think it's designed to make a lot of people feel powerless, or this idea that, oh, if I'm not in law enforcement, therefore I can't help my community. And that's simply not true. We can all help each other. We can all, communities can really help each other. You don't necessarily need to be uh, promoted or have a certain job where you help people. And that also goes in, in line with, I hear some of the rhetoric I hear from some fundamentalist religious folks who are very like anti-atheist or anti-agnostic, um, um, who assume that because people aren't religious that somehow they're immoral or that they can't be a good human beings. And I think that's, it's very similar, this idea, just because we don't necessarily share the same beliefs doesn't mean that we're not good human beings. And that should be a basic principle, right? We don't necessarily, we all have our own experiences our own belief systems 
and we all can get along just fine without subscribing to the exact same beliefs and the idea that people are bullied um, because we might not necessarily be religious or subscribe to the same ideas or might not be in law enforcement. That doesn't mean we can't help each other. So again, I'm going to quote Ribri once more. I don't need a badge to help people. Oh, what was my point? <laughs> I was going to read a story about the presidential election. I got a little bit off topic there. Or it's, it's similar. It's similar. It's like in an ideal world, like if I, if you really want, no, not that anyone's asked my opinion. Everyone's posting on Facebook their, their presidential, you know, people that they support. There's some folks who support Hillary. A lot of my friends support Bernie. A lot of my friends support Jill Stein. A lot of people want the whole system to burn down. And I subscribe to most of those. I, I see the points in a lot, if not all, but like a lot of those points of view for sure. And I think also just the idea that folks get, and I'm saying this also just to criticize myself, um, it, with the idea that, you know, if we put as much, if people put as much energy into local elections as they did into presidential elections, and then on top of that, as much energy into helping the community as they did into the elections, this idea that we're electing people or choosing other people to solve the problems for us, I feel takes a lot of the responsibility out of our own hands. And I, of course, I'm putting myself into that that category as well it's this idea and yes i recognize that we live in a quote-unquote democracy even though there's a lot of voter suppression and folks need a lot of money to run uh i think that's true uh even aside from that yes there is we do live in a more other places don't have other other places don't people don't have those options however i do feel like we don't necessarily have to rely specifically on those options in order to solve society's ills um, to elect somebody else to kind of solve things for us. We can very much take it into our own hands. And I recognize it's not easy because many of us, the 99%, are struggling. You know, folks are really working very, very hard to simply keep, keep ourselves afloat and to help one another. And I feel like if people weren't as pressured and or in debt or, and or working so many jobs and in school and taking care of family and dealing with trauma, all of these things... Uh, it would be a lot easier for us to take care of one another. And it's simply just to, to take care of ourselves is such a big task. So I get the idea that, oh, I'll, I'll find someone else to, you know, I'll vote this one person and then that'll take care of it. And I think that kind of leaves out a lot of personal responsibility that we can do to, to help folks. And again, I'm not at all saying that I am uh, not a part of that because I recognize that I am. I would like to do, and I should do more, you know, work within the community and where, you know, where we live. And there are ways to help. There are definitely ways to help. A great foundation, the Kenneth Harding Foundation, they do feeds. Uh, um, we, you know, provide, people provide uh, food and then just wrap up bag lunches and give to folks. So for Malcolm X Day in Bayview, for instance, uh, which happened last weekend, uh, a Sunday, um, there was that. And that was incredible. And there's like a lot of simple things that people can do um, to really help the community that don't necessarily rely on elections or putting the power into other un other folks. And there's that part of me, as I said, that is anarchist and like, oh, we can also do things outside of the system and outside of the state um, to help one another live and to simply rely on the state to control everything I feel is not, doesn't have a good, hasn't had a good track record. Um, and there's also that part of me that's maybe naive and optimistic enough to think that the folks who do want to work within the system, I have a lot of respect for. Like, for instance, when there was the mayoral election here in San Francisco last fall, um, met three of the folks, uh, Amy, Stewart, and Francisco, who are all running. Um, 
and this idea that I have a lot of respect for the three of them, absolutely, and for folks who do want to take, t- take part in the system and to add their own perspective and to work within it to make change that way. And I think that's great if we can have folks both in and out of the system to make things better. Um, the, more, the more ways we can all work together, the better. So there is that part of me that's definitely not completely cynical. Um, because we do need to create ways to, here's the idea, okay, yeah, we can burn something down, but what are we gonna have in its place? So I recognize the, the work that goes into people who are um, working within the system to, to make it uh, as it should, which is for the people. And I'm gonna be reading about one of those people right now. This is from GQ. I don't know if I've ever read an article from GQ on the show. I've been doing this show since uh, December, I believe, of 2013. It's a long time. And I don't think I've ever read an article from GQ. I may be wrong. Who knows? Maybe there is some like article about like a gay athlete or something in there. I could see that happening. Um, but it's an article on GQ. So for folks, since nobody's no one. Meanwhile, no one's fucking asked my opinion who I'm voting for. But everyone's like blah 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 blah. This is who I'm voting for, and this is why, and da da da. And everyone's fighting amongst themselves, which is really sad when a lot of us really want a lot of the same things. Uh, side note, my birthday this year is falling on election day, which fucking sucks. The last time this happened for a presidential election was in 1988, and I remember that being a particularly shitty day, because I remember how the election turned out, and even as a kid, uh, I was unhappy, and hearing what my parents had to say about that uh, was just uh, kind of unhappy. So again, this will happen this year in 2016, so I'm already preparing some harm reduction, so how I will handle it, because I feel the person that, if we are to have this presidential election, and we will, um, the folks... I definitely prefer Sanders to Clinton, but overall, my choice for the folks who are running, it would be Jill Stein. And I mention this to people, and people say, who, who's Jill Stein? And it's like, of course we don't know who Jill Stein is, because the media likes to focus on certain people. So even, I'm not even going to mention one person's name who gets a lot of attention, and then the other person, you know, she gets attention. I'm not necessarily in line with her. And then there's, there's Sanders, who I agree with a lot of his platform. But more so than anyone else, it's Jill Stein, and people are like, who's Jill Stein? And then I say, a Green Party. I'm a Green Party supporter, as long as we're having parties, I support the Green Party. So this is a little article about Jill Stein, so for folks who aren't aware of who she is and what she stands for, here's some information about her. So folks can recognize that there's there's always more than two options in everything in life, of course. I feel like the idea of having two choices is the illusion of choice, because if you don't like something, then the assumption is you have to choose something else, and that's simply not true. So this comes from GQ, meet Jill Stein, the other anti-establishment progressive running for president. And this was written by Rebecca Nelson, and this came out on May 26th. The Green Party candidate rails against corporations and Wall Street. She has a habit of getting arrested three times in the last election alone. She also happens to be the plan B for a few progressive voters if this whole Bernie thing doesn't work out. But who is Jill, who is Dr. Stein, really? Four years ago, when Jill Stein was the Green Party's candidate for president, she wasn't on stage trading barbs with President Obama and Mitt Romney during the second debate at Long Island's Hofstra University. She was outside in the street with an American flag draped over her lap. And then, shortly after, she was getting arrested for refusing to move. Barred from the debates, candidates have to meet a floor of 15% in the polls to be invited. She garnered just 469,501 votes, or less than half a percent of the total cast. That evidently was enough to convince her that she should run again. Last June, Jill Stein, a medical doctor turned environmental activist, announced that she was indeed throwing her hat into the shit show that would become the 2016 race, just days after Donald Trump's own rambling speech announcing his run for the White House. 
In an election that includes a Playboy former reality show star, Stein might be the most badass candidate for president. Her platform reads like that of a Miss America contestant exposed to gamma radiation. She'd end poverty and also unemployment, abolish everyone's student debt, and to top it off, she says she'd give everyone health care. It's far t- it's it's far to left far to the left too, much farther than the avowed socialist vying for the Democratic nomination, pushing for a transition to entirely renewable energy by 2030 and legal weed. Plus, she's plenty angry. When corporations are in the driver's seat, we do not get the thoughtful and informed and principled people that we would like to see running for office, Stein tells me. We get really corporate caricatures who are serving the billionaires or who are billionaires. This is not what democracy looks like. Though she likely won't be included in debates this fall, she's currently polling at 2%. She's raised her profile to the point that some Sanders devotees have named her their pick if Bernie drops out. Which brings up a question worth asking. Who is Jill Stein and what is she about? And GQ asks, many voters have never heard of you or the Green Party, which is fucking sad. What's the first thing you tell someone who doesn't know you or your platform? Jill says, I tell them I'm what they've been looking for because American voters are really tired of a rigged economy and they are tired of a rigged political system. And poll after poll will tell you that people are sick of the two political parties. And I'm from the one national party that is not poisoned or controlled by corporate money. I'm a medical doctor and I'm now in the practice of political medicine after a career in clinical medicine because politics is the mother of all illnesses when it comes right down to it and we've got to fix that in in order to get all the things in order to get at all the other things. Next question. Your power to the people plan for governing decries the system. What is the system exactly? Chill says, let me put it this way. Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis said, perhaps a century ago, that we have a choice between vast concentrations of wealth or democracy. We have chosen the former, and our democracy has basically slid through our fingers. And it's essentially a system that has been hijacked, whether you look at public dialogue, whether you look at access to the ballot, and participating in elections. We have a system that basically circles the wagons around the two establishment parties. Next. Your agenda has some seriously lofty goals, like end poverty and unemployment and abolish all student debt. How realistic are those objectives? Jill says, let's put it this way. The course that we're on right now is we're making a beeline for disaster. We're looking at the next collapse of the economy. The reform bills did not do the trick for Wall Street, and Wall Street is more prone to collapse and failure now than ever before. The banks are bigger than ever and more concentrated than ever. So I would question the presumption that we are on a stable or sustainable course. Next question. What goes through your mind when you see an avowed socialist giving Hillary Clinton a run for her money or Donald Trump boasting about the size of his penis and continuing to surge in the polls? Jill says, this is what our political system looks like when it's run by corporate money, by Wall Street predators, by fossil fuel giants, and by war profiteers. Time is out of joint. The political system is completely unhinged. It's time to vote the bums out and to stand up for the future that we need and deserve. The lesser evil phenomenon is a propaganda campaign in order to intimidate people into voting for more of what is literally killing us. Forget the lesser evil. Fight for the greater good like our lives depend on it. And next. If you're honest with yourself, where do you put your chances of winning the presidency? 
Jill says, I'd say it's as possible as it is for students to ever get out of debt or as it is for workers at poverty wages to get a decent wage for the unemployed uh, or for the unemployed to get work. Do we want to be told that these things our lives depend on are impossible? I think they are only possible as our, only as possible as our democracy. There are 43 million young people locked into debt. That alone is a plurality of the vote. If that word gets out, even on the internet, then we take over this election and we win it. If we can get into the debates, you'll see this completely turn around in a heartbeat. I'm not holding my breath, but I'm not ruling it out. The House of Cards is coming down, and as the House of Cards comes down, something needs to replace it. Next, more than half of Americans say they want a viable third party to choose from. These outsider candidates, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, have been so successful this cycle, but you're polling at just 2%. What do you, why do you think you haven't been able to capitalize on the hunger for something different? Jill says, for one thing, Bernie Sanders was at 2% six months ago, so we'll see, so we'll see where we go. We'll see what ha- where his supporters go. And there are many of them that regard us as their plan B. We have a, f- we have a firewall democracy that is, a, that is firewalled around the status quo. So as hard as it's been for Bernie Sanders to be discovered, oh, we have a call. And hopefully uh, that is Frank. Uh, one moment. Hello, Mutiny Radio. I hear Mutiny Radio. Oh. Hey, Gail. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all distressed and upset. So what are you guys doing over there? Um, right now I'm reading about Jill Stein, who is running for president. Yeah, but uh, no one even knows the name. Well, they will now. I mean, really, how this guy? How many votes is this guy gonna get? Jill. Well, we don't know, but she's she's talking about how even a while ago Bernie Sanders didn't have a, a strong support base. So I mean, is he there in your office or what? Jill. Yeah. I mean, where is he? She? she. Oh, she. Yeah. I mean, where is this person located? Uh, I'm not sure where she is at the moment. I believe she's originally from Massachusetts. Well, I don't think you're going to make it this time, but if you guys really push it and get her knowing for next time, I mean, if everyone really gets together and really works on this for next time, maybe they can get her to be president. Yeah. And I mean, is she a Democrat? Oh, she's in the Green Party. She's not a member of either the Democrats or the Republicans. She's the nominee for the Green Party. Yeah, yeah, but Sarah's treating it as just uh, going through the motions, just saying that you're running for president. How can you really get up there and push it across that she will become elected as president? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a struggle, and we're kind of, that's what the article was, that I was reading was, was talking about right now. Um, I mean, part of it does have to do with money, unfortunately, where if candidates don't have as much money then they can't get the word out as much, and therefore then they don't get the votes and are not allowed to debate. But if enough people know her, Mm -hmm. then they should be able to vote for her. Yeah, yeah. And what is the hang-up? Why aren't people voting for her? People don't know about her because the media, first of all, the media focuses most of its energy on Trump and then the rest of it on, on Clinton and then what's left of that on Sanders. So the mainstream media doesn't really do a good job of representing all the people who are running. Well, the media is the same as everything else. They're interested in money and ratings. Yep. When they were having those Republican debates, they really liked that because they were selling good advertising time and making money. Yes. So now, if you guys are really sincerely dedicated to this woman, 
it's not just about, oh, now is presidential election time, now is time to start. No, you guys spend the next four years getting her name out there and getting people interested and involved. And, you know, don't just wait until, you know, it comes around the presidential season or whatever. You guys spend the next four years getting people to know her and get her name out there and getting those votes. Yes, yes. Now, who's going to be the vote of that for four years? Who's going to, I'm sorry? I mean, who's going to do this for four years? I mean, how many people are really going to come up the bat and spend the time and energy for four years to get this woman known? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, well, if you guys were for her for not doing it and not recruiting people, what are you going to do? Now, you got a radio show right there. Yes. Now, that's a start. Yeah. You know, that, you got a show there as a start to really start pushing it through your radio show. Mm-hmm. And not just now because it's presidential season for the next four years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to push, push, push. Yes. And I want, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but I'm saying it can be done. Now, who is actually interested in her being president? I think if a lot of people were to actually hear what she has to say, many, many people would be, uh, especially folks who are struggling with student debt. Uh, one of her goals is to eliminate all student debt, and I would think that's a hefty part of the population. So we got to get her out there. Because mm-hmm. when you told me her name, I didn't even know who it was. I thought it was the guy. Mm-hmm. You know? So are you going to really dedicate yourself in the next four years again, this woman knowing so she will be, because it's too late now. I mean, you're not going to get enough people now to get acquainted with the situation. I don't think you can snowball it by November. Yeah. But but if you're going to really, if you really want to get this woman elected, and her too, you really got to push it for four years. Yes. Get it out there and, and don't let it die. Yes, yes. So are you going to be dedicated to that? Oh, that's a good question. I would like to say yes, but I recognize that uh, as a flawed human being with, uh, I think there's also just a lot of ways I'm probably escaping to getting out of the question. Ideally, I would like to say yes. And then I think there's also a lot of ways to support what she stands for by supporting things that are not necessarily part of the electoral process or part of the system. But if you want to get her to be president, because I, like I always like to see the impossible done. Yes. You know, me, I, me, like too. me, I like banging my head against the wall. When you tell me I can't do something, you know, I, I dig my little feet in and, and more. Yes, yes. And the more you tell me I can't do something, the more mad I get. And so you're like, can. So that's what I want to know, if you guys are really going to grow this, you know. Yes. And if you do it, uh, it can be done. Yes. But it's not going to be a today and tomorrow thing. It has to be really put out there and getting the people. Yes. And I want to know how you're going to do it. Yeah. Well, Audrey Lord had a great quote that is, uh, revolution is not a one-time event. Yeah, well, you got to spend the next four years getting her name known. Yes. And getting it out there and see what you're going to do. Yes. So let's see you go for it. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Gail. Not your whole life, but a good portion of it. Again, this woman, they let that. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for calling, Gail. All right. Very cool. Thanks again. And folks are always welcome to call in the show and speak 
about what's what you feel and the number here is 415-550-0511 and yeah also call me on my shit because i do a lot of talking i try to walk the walk uh and i do appreciate being called on it like will i and uh there's always that idea of how much time you know finding the balance between activism and living one's life and how much time and energy and also where does one want to devote their energy like i can support a presidential candidate and then also recognize there's activism in a lot of other ways as well but i do appreciate being called on that like will i spend the next four years working for her i i imagine myself working for a lot of what she stands for and that might not necessarily look in terms of getting this one person elected um maybe in terms of working for local politics with local politics to create other systems um that would go about doing the things that she also that we all kind of believe in so i think there's a lot of ways to support uh, a candidate not just necessarily getting them into office but to work with communities to get what they want to have happen so i'm going to finish up the article here and then we'll play a bit more music and then we'll probably wrap up the show uh there's oh there's some more stuff i wanted to play we'll get to it all right so more than half of americans say they want a viable third party uh to choose from these outsider candidates bernie sanders and donald trump have been so successful this cycle but you're pulling at just two percent do you think that you haven't okay why do you think you haven't been able to capitalize on that hunger for something different and jill says for one thing bernie sanders was at two percent six months ago so we'll see where we go we'll see where his his supporters go and there are many of them that regard us as their plan B. We have a firewall democracy that is firewalled around the status quo. So as hard as it's been for Bernie Sanders to be discovered, we are facing at that same problem as an outsider. The press doesn't cover us for the most part. We're kept off the ballot. There are fear campaigns and smear campaigns against third parties. You add that up, it's a steep hill to climb. But on the other hand, we have no option. Next. He wrote an open letter to Bernie Sanders in April proposing a unity ticket. Yeah. Have you heard from him? Oh, Jill says no. And our attempts to reach out long preceded this campaign. Since Bernie has been in Washington, he has not been particularly friendly to independent parties. But the sabotage that he's receiving right now, maybe that will change his thinking. So we'll see where it goes. And finally, you were arrested three times during the last election, once at a bank sit-in in Philadelphia, another when you tried to get into a presidential debate, and, at a th- and a third when you tried to deliver supplies to Keystone Pipeline protesters in Texas. Any plans to continue your streak in 2016? Jill says, no specific plans at the moment, but we're keeping our options open, so stay tuned. Here, here. Um, so we've got uh, like 10-ish minutes or so left, so I'm just going to keep on keep on doing the stories uh and i'm gonna play a clip um so the other night day monday i was walking down the street and sometimes uh i have a pretty good sense of direction but i get turned around and lost or sometimes my gut guides me in a direction i shouldn't be going or was not planning on going and this is exactly what happened um so i was walking on 16th street and i meant to be walking i think i was on Folsom, and i meant to be walking would be west yes west towards mission and instead i ended up walking east towards harrison and what would I? What did I come across? But DPW workers and a couple SFPD harassing um, a person who was on the street and getting rid of his possessions. So I was able to talk to him a little bit. This guy named Memphis, who I met um, on Division like a few months prior, uh, I recognized him and, and it was like, oh hey. And so I just wanted to get his perspective. And it's a shame that we live in a city and a culture where the most marginalized folks are targeted again sometimes by law enforcement and sometimes by public workers. And uh, we're going to hear from him about this experience uh, right now. 
We're on uh, 16th and Harrison, yeah. and the DPW has come in and they are taking people's possessions. Yeah. Um, you know, technically they're not even supposed to. Like, you're supposed to take the trash. That's been fucking, you know. Do you have a bike? Do I have a bike? No, I don't. No? I'd like to follow that truck. I know. I would. I could. You know, it's come down to the point where they're taking I got the truck coming, like, though. Like, pregnant ladies fucking I wish I had my camera. Possessions. I mean, they're worried about me moving more than they need to be worried about the new commission. Like, that that bothers me. You shot someone in the fucking face. Yep. In the face. I didn't shoot nobody in the face this morning. No. But yet you're willing to arrest me for lying down. Mind you, I'm an American citizen. Yep. Just, no, I've done my time. So, I just find that very interesting. That you're willing to harass me more than you need to harass the things that you need to harass. Oh, yeah. You know, that's something that I don't understand. And there's no, and there's no answer for it. None. So we need as much. Claim me to be a fool, but I'm not. So, thank you. Yeah. You're a witness to this. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. I don't know who you are. Oh, my Roman. Or not, but. This, I mean, it's, I've heard about it, and it's just disgusting videos, and I've heard of the DPW workers who refuse to do it, because people can refuse to take, partake in this. Do you really? I'm like, do, do you really? Get in your Mercedes. Hey, can we use your living room? Hey, you know, place for us to go. Uh, okay, that's what I thought. Like, it's mortifying. Feels some type of way. You should tell your fucking congressman, honey. Like, read it. 15 years, the city has been built affordable housing for us. I love that. 15 like, years in a row. Like, yeah. You got people like that yeah. who are neighbors who feel some type of way. Well, if you feel some type of way, do what the fuck we do. Go out there and fucking speak on it. Yeah. Because it's just as much their motherfucking issue as it is ours. Yes. And it kills me that these motherfuckers don't even get at them about that. A false phone call costs over $10,000. I don't cost over $10,000. Not an expensive bitch, but not if that you, expensive. If you could do me a favor and just forward that. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Over at Delta. Sure. Alright. So just seeing what's happening here. I'll just tell you so you'll have it on recording, right? Oh, sure, yes. If you could send it to, um, uh, what is my thing? It's going to sound funny, but far from small at Gmail. Okay. Tomorrow night we're going to Mission Station. I would love to okay. have that as proof. Sure, yeah. Okay. And what time at Mission Station? 6 p.m. at Mission Station. Okay. And also, um, this is a person doing documentaries. Which, um, she's okay. going to do a documentary on all of this soon. Oh, okay. It ain't pretty at Gmail. Okay. And I uh, have permission to post this online? Yes, you do. Yes, okay. Totally do. All right. Well, thank you for speaking. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for doing All right. So that was just a video I took on Monday. And there was this article I read a few months ago. Um, this has been happening not just in San Francisco. It's happened in Oakland and I'm sure in other cities, unfortunately, where the politicians are calling for DPW workers and police officers to harass homeless folks to take their possessions. And I've heard they also end up uh, sometimes reselling their possessions. And how on earth is that legitimate? How on earth is that moral when the most marginalized folks are targeted? And uh, again, in the in the video, there's a so there's a there's a person who had parked right outside, um, and he was getting into his car as we're having this conversation, and he was just like 
you know, he, he sim- simply was like one of the folks who kind of believes in this idea of like, you know, out of sight, out of mind where, oh, I'm disturbed by like seeing people on the street. Well, if you're disturbed by it, you can go ahead and you can help people and or look for other options to make sure that people are take, being taken care of instead of having their items removed and having them be harassed and threatened to arrest. So I didn't catch this on video, but the police officers were threatening to arrest this person who was, who was speaking in the video and how f- like this person was not harming anyone. I've met him a couple of times. I would like to get to know him better. He seems like super friendly, super cool person. Um, the idea that he is somehow um, attracting attention, negative attention, and is being threatened with arrest when he's not harming a single fucking person. And there are law enforcement officers who have murdered people here in the city. Um, somehow they're not they're not being accounted for at all. Uh, that's just such a, a it's just it's so it's like this waste and the, the targeting and that goes back. To, yeah, I'll do a. I'll come back full circle because what have we learned today? I mean, it's. I just keep on uh, being. I mean, I do like to be challenged and to open my mind and to learn new things, and then also just to be more specific about what I I see around and just to see the patterns. And it's really like the targeting of mar- marginalized folks, and that's what it is. People in power targeting marginalized folks, and that's always been the theme of the show, and that becomes more and more evident. And uh, and also just the rec- recognition that the marginalized folks are in the majority too. It's whether folks are homeless, whether folks are transgender, and or whether folks are black, and or any identity that law enforcement or people in positions of power want to attack or harm. Um, it's like their energy attacking uh, the majority of the people and the worker. You know, we talk about like the people going on strike, the workers. You know, workers. Uh, demanding their rights, uh, for instance, like in, in Argentina, talking about that, and in France, and folks just wanting, it's like the, the powers that be using their, con- to control us, and to harm us, and while keeping us distracted and angry at each other, um, it's, they end up maintaining their power, which they are using for violence. They really are using for violence to attack us. And when we're being attacked, it's really hard for us to help each other. And then to see the positive side, we do see the the folks on strike, for instance, in France and the folks um, who are occupying the buildings in Brazil and the folks kind of coming together against that. And I think that's one resolution. That's one nonviolent resolution. Although I did see some violence in some of the protests in France. I I won't necessarily comment on that at all because... uh, I'm going to leave that for next time, certainly. I, I do see that the folks kind of coming together um, against oppressive forces being uh, one way to combat this. And getting back to the, the person in the car who drove off, I, was, I, I made the comment, like, yeah, I drive off in your Mercedes because he was driving a fucking Mercedes. Um, is, you know, it's like the folks sometimes with the most privilege and the most wealth or the most perceived wealth, because we don't know. This person could be in debt. He just drives a Mercedes. Um, who was like just talking shit about the homeless, like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, how ridiculous and unaccountable is that? And like, yeah, one should feel uncomfortable knowing that we live in a city that has that does have a lot of wealth. Um, there's a huge wealth gap, of course, um, where people are kind of forced to live on on the street and can't even be safe living on the street. I mean, that's I mean, that's the biggest issue. It's like folks who are on the who people who are who end up living on the street. I hate this idea that it becomes like a not even there's this. Uh, the criticism of it, it's not even just like, man, the system's fucked. It's victim blaming. It goes into this whole victim blaming thing where like, oh, that's your problem. Not nothing to do with me. And like, it has everything to do with you. You know, like if you're not going to be part of the problem, if you're not, if you're, what's the saying? Uh, 
if you're uh, if you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. I'm I'm mixing that up a little bit. If you're part of the, it's the the idea that uh, it's that person is causing this person, the person who drove off in his Mercedes is causing just as much harm. Um, you know, I I recognize that it's how it's it's it is a big issue for easy to solve. Well, I think it could be easier to solve because there are a lot of empty or vacant housing units that are just waiting for people with a lot of money to move in to them. So that's one solution. Um, but the idea also that the, the waiting list for shelters is like in the hundreds. So it's not just like, Oh, these people don't, again, I just get so frustrated with the, with the victim blaming. And it's similar to the transphobia with this idea that someone's in a position and it makes people uncomfortable. And instead of actually talking to people and understanding, you know, why the systems that are in place and why people are in this position, they end up just kind of blaming and causing more violence. Um, so instead of sharing a bathroom with trans folks, which you have your entire life, instead of talking to your neighbors who may be living on the street and getting their perspective and their point of view and getting to know them as people, it's calling law enforcement and having trying to get trying to get rid of them, trying to get rid of trans folks from using the bathroom, trying to get rid of uh, folks who happen to be living on the street. Uh, that's a, some fucking heartless shit right there. That's heartless shit, and that is part of the problem. That's definitely part of the problem, and people need to be held accountable. So, on that lovely note, this was, oh, I guess the show is always heavy. Um, I'm assuming we didn't get to hear from uh, Frank Romano. Hopefully, he'll be able to call in at some point in the future, as we're looking forward to having that conversation. Um, and again, though, there's just so much happening in the world that uh, got to as much as possible, and of course, some positive things. So hopefully in Ohio, even though it's restrictive, folks will have access to cannabis. Uh, folks who, uh, the Verizon workers, I support them for striking. Uh, the folks in France, uh, Argentina, uh, the folks in Brazil for occupying the buildings. There's a lot of there's a lot of vitality out there for, for Jill Stein and what she represents. I know she's just one person and it's part of the, as anti-establishment as it is running for president does feel there is that quality of it being establishment um the folks who are willing to challenge the system and to keep on putting themselves on the line for what they believe in and i feel like those folks we might not hear about them in the media but uh, there's a there's a lot of us out there a lot of people like that out there and i support them and uh want to inspire others and myself to to partake more in that too to really to that's uh, a fucking cliche but to be the change that we wish to see um, and to recognize there are a lot of folks out there doing a lot of good work and it's when people come together that things get done. So I'm going to end on that positive note before I fall into a, a hole of, uh, thinking about something else that's deeply frustrating and troubling. Cause there is that, I'm not going to say pretend that there's not, uh, there was a lot of good things happening and people coming together as there always have been since the beginning of time, people fighting against injustice and people having each other's backs. And I was thinking the other day about how, especially in, in this, and in, you know, I was raised in, in, in this country, in the U S and how so much of what was enforced, not even necessarily in my own family life, but, uh, just in general, the whole idea of the culture was like this idea of like working hard you gotta work real hard. And, uh, that kind of takes away the challenges that are behind that. And even if folks who work really hard are not given fair wages or not treated well or not treated with respect or even dignity. Um, so I understand like the, the frustration behind that, the idea of like working hard, like perhaps um, more concentration should be paid attention to being kind to one another. And if we all actually were to be kind to one another, this idea of working hard wouldn't be such a big issue. Because uh, if everyone was treated with respect, simple fucking respect to people, um, then I think other things would fall into place. 
So if we could be kind to one another, that's that'll be uh, that'll be a note to end on for sure. So coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val. Hopefully we'll be uh, seeing uh, Val very shortly. And following that is the Common Thread Collective. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. We're here in the mission. This has been the weekly review. What a week it's been. Um, it is what it is, right? So I'm gonna end on uh, some some good good old music here um, as we. Uh, get the next show up and running and uh yeah in the meantime i do another brief plug queer open mic happening tonight at modern times bookstore on 24th street uh it's a great show everyone's welcome it's a free show wonderful show everyone should check it out <sighs> and uh i'll be ending the show uh, another request from jesus was a print song the most beautiful girl in the world so this will be hopefully to also combat all this stupid fucking misogyny that's out there um, women are fucking incredible and amazing and wonderful. And, uh, if, if we had to rule, if someone had to rule the world, I certainly wish it was done by more of womankind. So have a wonderful week, everyone. And we'll be back next Friday.
by one from the sky. I know Mars could not be too far behind. Cause baby, this kind of beauty, it's got no reason to ever be shy. Cause honey, this kind of beauty, the kind that comes from inside. Could you be? of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard, as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> <laughs> 